Uh, hello there. I don't know if I would call this an apology or a warning, but uh, I will let you know that there were some major technical difficulties with this episode, so I'm going to release it just like this. Um, my audio is clipped, so is perfectly clear. Um, I don't know, because she's got a stronger heart than me, maybe? Who knows? <laughs> anyway, um, I'm a little difficult to understand in some segments. My audio got compressed. Uh, I won't go into technical... T- technical Wow, I don't even know. Technical difficulties, technicalities of why it's messed up or how it is. But unfortunately it is, but uh, all her content was really good. And the bit of mine that you can discern from it, uh, I think is decent enough that it'll work out. And um, from the context, you can get what I'm saying. So, sorry that it's like this, but this is it. Um, We're almost to uh, the second arc, and we wanted to get this out in a timely fashion, so... Uh, please enjoy. You're listening to a Toe Network production, putting heroes on trial because someone has to. And I'm Amit, and you're listening to Moonspeak. I'm a magical girl rookie, and Sono is a vet. So prepare yourself to be enchanted as we delve deep into each act. And uh, this episode is uh, Sailor Moon Crystal uh, Act 12 Enemy, Queen Talia. On what an episode it was, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was and it wasn't. I mean, this this is our uh, penultimate episode of Dark Kingdom, so we've only got one more as I break out the big words. Um, so we, we've got this in 13 and then we're moving into Black Moon, uh, which is going to be fun. But we, we have to get through this, uh, last bit here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's just uh, right into it then. So, uh, so with the Medjis, uh, and Dimian is dead, but resurrected by Metalia power, um, and he is opposed to Maru, and I'm really confused by all Um, it's hard to say, because I doubt, uh, Beryl really knows him as Mamaru, so I don't think it's really, um, like, Endymion as opposed to Mamaru, I just don't think she knows him as anything else. So she just may mean, this guy standing next to me, who I have only ever known as Endymion. Uh, but life, death, and resurrection are kind of a pretty regular cycle within the Sailor Moon narrative. Uh, so he could have died and then been brought back by Metalia and then is just alive and possessed because that happens here. But we never really saw any specific indication that he was physically dead, dead. So she might mean some kind of spiritual death, like the Endymion that you used to know is dead, and now he's this guy who's hanging out with me. It's it's hard to say. It's a little vague and not the uh, best written of moments in that we can't figure it out, so it's clearly right, yeah, not there... doing its job. Yeah, there's definitely a problem there. Uh, okay, so, uh, I, I find it interesting that Beryl called, uh, Endymion the most vicious or something. I would be powerful, I don't know, of the case of darkness. I mean, to be fair, he kind of is. 
the are the four kings just kind of went around beating people up or making monsters to beat people up for them where Mamoru goes in and kind of infiltrates kind of their hideout and manipulates Usagi and Makoto and t- kind of takes advantage of their weaknesses and their relationships with him which is a lot more vicious and ruthless than just, you know, showing up and shooting at them and having them fight back. It's funny, I hadn't even considered that as we started talking. I was thinking, well, he does have the legendary silver crystal, some of its power in him, so he's, like, going out to tell with uh, Sailor Guardian, so maybe that's what she means. But yeah. I think what your point is an even better... I think it's twofold, but I think that's, like, the more uh, emotionally impactful side of it. Okay, so... Uh, uh, <laughs> Sailor Moon is you know, chasing him down, and she gets separate from the others. And uh, it was really exciting and uh, interesting and scary. Um, this, I think it was that was a really well executed moment, as opposed to you know who's who from Hindi and Mamoru from earlier. And uh, like him and her it was so rough. And I wonder if it was too much because it seemed like too much to me. Um, I don't really see it as too much, but I'm also reflecting on how uh, the first series handled D Point. Which is them literally, like, the bad guys are literally just picking off the other girls one by one and murdering them. And Usagi has to cope with the fact that they're making these sacrifices so that she can go and rescue Mamoru and go through this fight. And, like, it got to a point where I remember her being like, guys, let's just stop and give them the crystal. This isn't worth it. Let's just, let's just give up. And, I mean, that happened over the course of a couple episodes, I think. I don't think it was all within one episode. It may have been, though. Wow. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but if it was one episode, it took up the whole episode instead of just this small part of an episode. But this was a good fight. And really, everything in this episode that was between Usagi and Mamoru and Beryl was handled really well. Um, this, this was a good fight, but I don't... Uh, having seen... Um, our other girls literally die. This wasn't uh, too much for me. Okay, and I guess uh, to clarify, my muchiness was it really felt um, like a serious. Uh, it felt like like uh, I don't know, not spousal abuse, obviously, because they're not married. But it felt like like abuse in a relationship, and it was like really uh, I don't know, like I said, for me, um, it kind of made me think of. Um, like Angel and Buffy. I don't know if you're uh, familiar. Um, but like... A bit. They ended up fighting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, that would have come after, so... Anyway, uh, like, sword fought to death, to the death, and it was, uh, I don't know, pretty impactful, but there was a lot of other stuff uh, that had had to set that all up, so I, I, I don't know, I don't know, but um, maybe we should move on? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a really... It was a really... It was a really strong scene, and... Like it definitely had a lot of impact. It's just it's it's not quite the impact that uh, the first series D point was on me. Luna's pep talk to Usagi when she's down uh, on the floor emotionally. Um, her rising and smiling at the sword pointed at her face is uh, such a powerful sequence. Um. Yeah. Anytime Usagi chooses kind of love and friendship over her own fear and really, uh, kind of her own mortality, because she could easily die in this situation and she knows it, but uh, she really chooses like, no, these are my feelings. I know you're still this person I care about, because in the end, that's kind of always more important to her than her own safety and always comes before, kind of 
the no kind of her flight or her fight or flight instinct is always really I want to reach out to the person in front of me. And when she just kind of lets go of being afraid and hangs on to the feeling she has for the people in her life, it really does always get me. Okay, moving on. Um, so, uh, Natalia sure is ruthless. Uh, I can't believe she just wiped out Indian's nice uh, like that and taunted the Sailor Guardians, which, you know, that's thing as someone watching this or seeing this, experiencing this whole conflict for the first time, but I'm sure you're going to have way different, uh, way different thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to feel so much more emotional about this than I did. Just the fact that it happens, and we see very little of the actual fight, and we spend all this time acting like the fight itself is this big emotional thing for the girls without actually seeing it. And what little we did see and is supposed to end in kind of this big emotional breakthrough of the knights remembering who they are and remembering the girls and how they felt about them. And it, it treats it like we're supposed to be cheering for them the way we have with Usagi and Mamoru, but with absolutely no development behind it. There wasn't any time spent on building those bonds and the relationships between the girls and the knights like there was between Usagi and Mamoru. And then the four of them just get blasted out of existence, and the girls all, like, break down in... And they're rightfully, by the narrative, really horrified by this. And we're expected to feel the same way, but I just couldn't bring myself to because there was nothing behind it. Crystal barely developed the girls and their relationships between each other, much less their relationships to these other guys. It was more like, oh, well, just here's some more couples for you in case this one wasn't enough. And I know, I can't remember if it was a writer or a producer said in some interview that they kind of just put this in because they were afraid the girls wouldn't stand out enough if they didn't have love interests. Oh, that's taking like a major step backwards. And I'm... Yeah... And, I mean, I know the fandom itself is pretty divided over the Senshi Knight pairings for a lot of reasons. Some people are really into it, some people are really against it, uh, and everyone seems to have all of these... Everyone has reasons, and they're all legitimate, but I'm kind of in this middle camp where I would have been completely okay with it if there had been any real story development, but Crystal just kind of drops it on us and expects us to take it, and it just didn't work and kind of took me out of everything yeah even though i was um i guess shocked by the brutality of metalia um that was a merit to her or you know the decisions behind her as a character um but i was disappointed at the same mm -hmm. time by um like the vapid <laughs> the vapid relationship between um you know the two sets of knights let's just say for shorthand and uh, that that is a huge yeah. disappointment. And I mean, we've we've spoken out against you before that there's just some things that aren't there that really should be, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but like I said, it really makes me want to see the original show. Yeah, it's. I just. Yeah, I mean, again, these these two like groups of knights relationships weren't in the first series. They weren't in the manga. Uh, I, they seem to be something that Naoko always intended, but never put in before. Yeah. And I 
really think this is not the best way to first show them off, if that's what she's going for. Because uh, there really was no proper time taken to develop this, and it really just it ruins it. I think because there's a lot of room to play with interesting things there, but Crystal just didn't have the time and didn't want to take the time. Because now it's complete, it's diverged yeah. <laughs> in so many ways from the manga that you can't really call it completely manga faithful. So why not take the time? If you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I'm suddenly thinking of uh, like George Lucas and the special editions of Star Wars. Uh, even though you know I enjoy them, uh, there's disappointments here and there, and it's just. Like why? Why did you do this? I mean, like with the success of this, she could have written a potentially a prequel manga, in, um, talking about things in the Moon Kingdom and, and delved into the romance between the sets of knights, and that would have been more interesting, and it could have been done uh, better. So. Oh, that would be so great. Yeah, see, why do we have to come up with these I would, ideas? I would love. I would love more. I would love more Silver Millennium stuff. I would love light novels. I mean, just. I don't know why, if they were going to diverge this far from things, they decided to stick to doing chapter by chapter in the episodes. Because you're cutting out things that are important, you're changing things that are important, and you're shoehorning these relationships in without any real effort made. Yeah, you got, it makes you wonder why. And, uh, <laughs> I get, uh... Oh, I, I got very emotional um, when Usagi did her... Uh, I mean, I guess I'll just say, like, the suicide... Not attack, but, I mean, she struck Endymion and then turned the uh, holy sword on herself, and I was I, I, I was legitimately shocked that she did that. I thought it was just going to be, like, oh, she slashed him, and that's going to somehow break some of the evil in him, and... and Everything will be okay, and then they have this like tragic, like very much Romeo and Juliet moment where uh, they kiss as you know, and then she stabs herself. Right? Is that that's how it went specifically? Yeah, yeah. And I I didn't want to rewatch it. Yeah, I I wanted to feel a lot more emotional about this too because that moment was handled really well and it was really strong, but I was so taken out by the the knights being destroyed like right before that that I just I was still not really sure how to feel about that and it kind of spilled over into this moment. But I mean even knowing what was coming it did still hit me. And I was and it still kind of caught me a little off guard and like the impact was still there but I I wanted to feel more strongly about it than I did. Oh, okay. Well, uh get away from that head. Let's move on to the bills. Um Ami's pocket dimension thing was super cool. Yes, that's my girl, bending space-time so as not to bust up public property, <laughs> because she's a good citizen. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> let me see. At some point, my audio crapped out on me. Actually, I broke my headphones, so I had to like re-listen, so I'm pretty sure I, I covered this correctly. Um, the music with the uh, first confrontation with Beryl in um, the moon base was uh, amazing. Like I, That's it. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, if one, there's one thing Crystal's been knocking out of the park, it's Beryl. I also really liked her, like, crazy hair attack. 
Oh yeah, that was. Sweet. I always think I always think crazy hair attacks are really cool, and I feel like I should be really freaked out by them. But I I like them a lot. Um, I feel bad that her whole flashback of her first interactions with Metalia that were in the manga seems like it was cut out for the whole night senshi thing because like they go into this whole into how like beryl ended up meeting metalia and how she ended up getting possessed by metalia and leading the earth kind of against endymion to take over to try and take over the moon and i feel i feel like that should have been in there because that would have brought so much more impact to kind of the last Beryl's last flashback that we see where we see that she had feelings for Endymion right. and that that weakness in her was taken advantage of by Metalia and kind of all of that story got cut out. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, um, I feel a little dumb because I keep saying this, but I just want to see the original show and I definitely think, um, I don't know, I, I'd like to start doing it, you know, soonish or if I want to do it after uh, Crystal's over, but I definitely want to go through the original series because it sounds like it's uh, really fantastic for all the things that it includes or that it took the time to include um, that aren't in Crystal. Yeah, no, the, the, the first series is very, very different from the manga in a lot of ways. The, the story arcs are still all the same. Uh, there are a couple extra story arcs uh, later. But there's just so much more time given to everyone that you get to see so much more development out of all of the characters. And you just... There's so much more to feel about them than what we're getting here. Well, that's uh, that's what I like, so it sounds like it's right up my alley. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, Sailor Guardians attack Formation V using the uh, power to... Um, or power of the Revitalized Sword to defeat Beryl was amazing. Uh, yes, this, there's a really iconic shot from the first series, and I feel bad keep going back to that, because that's not what we're talking about, but it's it's a very iconic uh, still frame from the first series of them defeating Beryl in kind of the V formation around Usagi uh, with the Moon Wand. That's always been uh, a very, it's always kind of stuck with me, and I think it's stuck with a lot of people that grew up on the show. And I think this was definitely more of a callback to that than uh, than to the manga directly, where it's Venus with the sword and she just goes and runs Beryl through and that's that. Instead of them all, like, having to break, kind of break through a barrier that Metalia has and break through this necklace. Um, yeah, I, I really liked them teaming up to break, break through the barrier. Um, I thought it was really cool. Although... No, it made sense. Everybody had a part in it, and I really enjoyed that. What's with Ami's glasses? Those are um, those are funny. Oh, the the goggles. Yeah. Her goggles. Ah, oh, I yeah. We haven't seen a lot of her goggles before the past couple episodes, have we? I think she did um, them one time, one other time. I like them. It's just they're funny and in, they make it, me happy. It's, she also has a little. She has a little supercomputer, and she has the goggles where she can do uh, tactics kind of on the fly and analyze a situation. And I've always thought it was the coolest thing. I I think it's funny too. Um, it uh, she has like um, like a microphone. Uh, yeah. Coming off her earpiece too, I think, or off the glasses, and I think that's really cool. That like it's funny you have these magic, you know, magical girls, but she's using like this uh, crazy magitech to um, like talk to her girls and and help them out with stuff. That's super cool. Yeah, it's very cool and it's very Ami, and I think it uh, connects back to the command center too. 
where she can talk directly back to Luna while if while Luna's running tactics in in the base, she can run tactics in the field. Oh, cool. I mean, that sounds that sounds great. Um, uh, Ami's Ami is the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> I I understand the love her. Uh, okay, so um, the inscription of the sword. Or, uh, what I meant to say is, I love the inscription on the sword being revealed after it's purified. Um, it's just uh, like a great classic moment of uh, I don't know, knightliness, heroic, like. You know, traditional kind of stuff, and I think that's pretty cool because the yeah, because Silver Millennium is such an old kind of fairy tale kingdom. Yeah, it's it was a very dramatic moment, and they really made it very beautiful, and it made the sword feel very much like it was a holy sword, like this is a sacred relic that has the key to fighting this evil power. Uh, yeah, I can't argue with you there. Um, Another cool thing: uh, flying sailor scouts uh, lying in this crazy orb. All the way from, you know, Tokyo to Point D. That's super awesome. Yeah, I wish we got to see more of them doing that kind of thing. Because it's always been this ability that they've had and done kind of here and there. But I'd love to see more times when gravity just kind of doesn't apply to them and they can travel sort of long distances however they want. Yeah, it's funny because, like, there's a um, like a little bit of a consistency we talked about way back in, uh, I think, Ray's introduction episode. Like, well, how did they teleport there and... Um, like Ami teleported with Luna by transforming, basically. And it's like a dumb thing, but it's it's nice to have consistency yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, anyway. Um, okay, and then yeah. my last note um, is... Uh, so this whole thing with the... Again, another funny thing that I like, um, and I think it's cool, but it's ludicrous. And, you know, it makes me laugh at it a little bit, is... Uh, like, D being the North Pole? Yeah, I mean, it is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. But it's also a really good hiding spot. I mean, who's going to look there? There's nothing out there. Santa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great point. I mean, that Who is going to look there? But, I mean, I wish we had gotten this shot that was in the manga of Luna's radar, where she says, like, she's been investigating this area. And you can see that there's... And in the manga, like, we actually see her computer screen, whereas in Crystal we didn't. And you can see there is an A point, a B point, and a C point uh, situated around D point. And it makes it it makes it feel a little less ridiculous, because you can see there's kind of this big, wide area that Luna was looking at, instead of, like, searching this one specific spot that she can't really get on the radar. And I suppose that line of hers saying, um, I've been researching... Is supposed to tie into the fact that there was other points, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they're never really mentioned out loud, right? So I mean, not not seeing Luna's computer screen, it's just like, okay, why are we jumping straight to like D point? Where did the other three go? But I mean, in the manga, you see them and they're there and they're kind of circulated around point D. Yeah, and that makes a lot more sense. Um, that uh, it kind of seems there's relics or something there. Um, some sort of ruin. So it makes sense that it's a, a larger area. Yeah, they may be some kind of. It may be some kind of like old Earth Kingdom capital for all we know. Right. Yeah, and which I, you know, I also wish was kind of elaborated more on because that would make sense as to why the four knights are very familiar with the building. Oh, that's true. And the area and how to move about it. I mean, that would be and like the fall of the original Earth is why there's snow there now. I don't know. This. All interesting things that I wish was ever gone into anywhere. 
I, I do wish we had more silver silver millennium actual canon to work off of. Right. Yeah, you'd think that'd be fun. Uh, okay. Well. I mean, with all the all the musicals and stage plays, I'm surprised they haven't done like a silver millennium musical or stage play. Yeah, you'd think that'd be a nice place to go. And I mean, that's kind of in a I'm sure in a um in between place on in the canon, right? Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually seen any of the musicals yet, but so I'm not sure specifically what happens in them. Though I do know uh, Kamen Rider Garen was Tuxedo Mask in one of the old ones. Oh, that's super cool. And I have, and I have seen him singing with that Usagi, and it's pretty hysterical. Oh wait a minute, hold on. Garen, 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 isn't that Tachiwa who you love so much? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Ta- Tachibana, Hayami, Libra. Uh, my my favorite that uh, with my big dumb crush, but uh, yeah, he was Tuxedo Mask once upon a time. He actually played uh, I believe- Yui from Kiva as um, Jupiter, right? Yes, I believe so. And I know um, Todoroki's wife in Wizard was, I believe, Sailor Moon in PGSM, uh, the live action. Okay. The uh, the live action show. I believe right. I believe she was Usagi. She might have been Minako. I might be wrong about that. I might be mixing them up. Uh, yeah, at the time I heard people saying Usagi. So yeah, I'm, I I'm remembering Usagi, but uh, so yeah, Todoroki married Usagi. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> With as we go into really fun fandom crossovers. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. Oh man, their baby must be magical then, huh? Um. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are babies. Um, all right, well, I think we should go to a close there. Um, hopefully all the audio quality was uh, good yeah. for you listeners uh, having technical difficulties. Yeah. Yeah, we're hoping so. Before we close out, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who has uh, like switched over yeah. to the proper subscription uh, RSS thing that Jonathan, uh, uh, who's been on the Uncommon Cast with us, has helped out with. Um, you should be able to get just... Uh, Moonspeak. If you want just Moonspeak through an RSS reader, and hopefully soon I'll have um, Moonspeak on the iTunes feed with some potentially uh, new cover. Um, yes. So there I, you go. Thank you for that. Once and, things uh, ease up for me a little bit, right? <laughs> I w- I will be getting on that. Okay. Um. And Sono, thanks again for joining me today. Um. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. No. Everyone, uh, join us next time for the end of the Dark Kingdom arc. When I'm sure we'll we'll have a lot to say about that and a lot to say about uh, what's upcoming. I can't wait for it. <laughs> Bye, everyone. It's, it's going to be a good time. See you, everyone. This has been Moonspeak, bi-monthly discussion and review of Sailor Moon Crystal. Visit trialofheroes.wordpress.com to see text reviews every Monday after Crystal airs and hear new Moonspeak the Monday after that. Moonspeak is part of the Toe Network where you can find articles of commentary on pop culture and genre fandom, including our flagship show, Uncommon Cast RX. The opening and closing is a piano arrangement of the uh, new Sailor Moon Crystal song, Moon Pride, played by Josh Agarado, whose work you can find at josh.agarado.net, and also on YouTube. There's a lot of cool work there, so go ahead and check it out if you like this song. <laughs>